she did what she could. A beautiful thing to me. Last week, Joanne did what she could. Joanne, the English teacher, our youth pastor, managed to remind me of the days when I had to write essays. Uh, like for, for general paper, you know, GP. Or, or it's and a very common topic in those days, I'm not sure about now. And one that I especially dislike is compare and contrast. You know, it's like compare and contrast between cats and dogs as pets. So you all know the answer, right? Dogs are better pets than cats. And compare and contrast, uh, not in those days, but maybe now, the, your Samsung uh, phone versus the iPhone. Something like that. But today, we, we tackle the fourth, what is called Marken sandwich, which is in some sense about comparing and contrasting. Actually, there are, there are nine Marken sandwiches. I've listed them up there. You can download it from the website. And our English literature teacher will tell you that uh, in literature, this ABA structure uh, it's, it's called a chiastic structure, uh, just for fun, uh, so that you learn one word. And, or a sandwich is easier to remember. So let's read the first, uh, uh, let's read this sandwich, the last one that we're covering uh, in this series. So, firstly, the ABA. Firstly, A. A is about uh, a plot to kill Jesus, and then the sandwich in between is about the anointing of Jesus, and then lastly, the other part of the sandwich is Judas betraying Jesus. So from verse 1 to 2, the A part. Now the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or the people may riot. And then we come to the meat of the sandwich. From verse 3 to 9, While he was in Bethany, reclining at a table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper. A woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth. Whenever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And then we come back to the A part, the ABA, which is from verse 10 to 11. It says, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Before we do a compare and contrast of this particular Markan sandwich, let's examine the scriptural references to women anointing Jesus. All four Gospels record such an anointing, but most scholars believe that there were two different anointings by two different women. So there were two different accounts. 
One account you can find in Matthew 26, in Mark 14 that we've read, and also in John chapter 12. The other account is found in Luke, and these are the differences. What we have read in Mark happened in the home of Simon the leper in Bethany. The place is defined. And Mary and Martha and Lazarus, the three siblings, were there. The other one was in the home of Simon the Pharisee, and the woman who anointed Jesus did not live there. She just happened, uh, uh, made her way into the home. In the Gospel of John, not in Mark that we've read, it, it identifies this woman as Mary of Bethany. So Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So it's Mary. The other uh, account in Luke is this lady is not named. She's just called a sinner. What happened in Mark was towards the end of Jesus' ministry, he was looking to his death uh, before the Passover. And the other account in Luke was actually at the start of Jesus' ministry. In Mark's account, it was Mary who was criticized for bothering Jesus and for pouring out expensive perfume. In Luke's account, it was Jesus who was, who was criticized for, for accepting this from a sinner from a, a sinner woman. In Mark's account, the hosts were not recorded, at least, as being hostile to Jesus. They were hostile to uh, Mary. But in Luke, the host himself was hostile to Jesus. And then lastly, Jesus, as a result of what happened in Mark and John and Matthew, gave a lesson. The lesson was that it's about my burial. It's about worship. In the other lesson, in Luke, Jesus then gave a parable about forgiveness of sins. So, they are two separate accounts. Often it is said that Mary Magdalene was the anointer in the sin, sinful woman account in Luke. But actually, uh, and also Mary Magdalene identified as a prostitute. But actually, both are not in the Bible. Okay, so we must not go beyond the word of that. But it's conjecture, it's so-called tradition that Mary Magdalene was that woman, but it is not uh, uh, that way uh, identified in the Bible. The only mention about Mary Magdalene was that she had seven demons cast out from her. So that's, that's all. Okay? She's not even said to be a prostitute. So we've just done our first compare and contrast exercise. So we come back to the account of Mark that is corroborated by Matthew and John. How did people respond to Jesus? How did the religious rulers like the chief priests and the scribes respond? And how did Mary respond? You know, for the religious rulers, the backdrop is one of... uh, uh, NIV uses the word sly. Other translations say trickery. It's about craftiness and, and political intrigue. And they were plotting murder in spite of the Ten Commandments that they must know so well. And then Judas went on to betray Jesus and was even promised a reward. But, but why? Why the plot to, to kill Jesus and to betray Jesus? I think you can look at it from three angles. The first angle would probably be uh, a political Jesus was this troublesome character who was disturbing the uneasy religious political balance or or compromise between the Jewish religious leaders and their Roman conquerors. And and some kind of equilibrium 
was present where the chief priests were, were, were given some measure of power by the, the Romans. And, and here we have Jesus, whom the people were calling king and worshipping, threatening this uneasy equilibrium, threatening the power of the, the religious re- leaders at the time. And, and if you know Jesus, if you are the real Messiah king, then you should be talking about overthrowing Rome and getting it done by your miraculous power. But it, wasn't, it doesn't look like uh, that was the case with Jesus. There's no evidence for this, but some have suggested that Judas was not really a betrayer. What he wanted to do was to prod, to prod Jesus into, into exhibiting his miraculous power to overthrow Rome. So, so betray Jesus so that he would be arrested, so that he had no choice but now to burst out in miraculous power and then sit back and watch this, this happen, that uh, Rome will be overthrown. Because how can Jesus be, be arrested and then, and then sentenced to death, right? That's not going to happen to the Son of God. This is like fast track to political messiahship. So human wisdom, if that were true, can be very, very shrewd. That, wow, then Judas is quite smart to, uh, to want to do that. So that's political. Maybe we can look at the personal then. Personal is greed. 30 silver coins was promised to Judas. Last week's silver price was uh, US dollars, uh, 46 US cents per gram. So 30 silver coins works out actually only to about Sing dollars, $272. $272 to betray Jesus. But that's the intrinsic value of the metal silver. But some say that in those days, one silver coin is about one day's wage. So 30 silver coins is about one month's wage. The median salary in Singapore, I found out, for 2014 is $3,770. Let's say it's $4,000 in 2015. So 30 silver coins, if it were uh, one coin per one day's wage, would be about 4000 Singapore dollars. And that was enough to provoke greed in, in Judas? Hard to imagine, right? But some people have gone to jail for even less. Some people have gone to jail for either embezzling $4,000 or less or or, or offering a bribe of less than $4,000. So you never know the heart of man. So that might be a political reason, that might be a personal reason, and then there might be a spiritual reason. Because in John chapter 13, verse 27, it says, As soon as Judas took the bread that Jesus gave him, Satan entered into him. And Jesus says, What you are about to do, do quickly. And then he went to betray Jesus. So it, there was a spiritual uh, uh, element as well that Satan entered Judas and caused him to do this thing. So, but I think it may be a combination of all three. With his miraculous power, surely Jesus could use that, um, uh, that power against the Roman conquerors, right? That if he had done that, win uh, we would have won, right? I mean, the, 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 the situation would have been, been great. But even if not, then it is better that Jesus dies so that uh, the, the, the political religious balance were, were not disturbed. So win Liao again. Um, and then there will be less problems with, with the Romans. And since you're not going to overthrow the Romans, then don't go disturb them. Uh, might have been the thinking. to so more power to the chief priests. And then there is also that financial incentive for, for Judas. You know that the meat of the sandwich 
Um, and the meat of this story is about the anointing of, of Mary. But it is sandwiched between two ugly responses. The responses of the chief priests and the, the, the scribes and the responses of Judah. So it's like, it's like a wagyu beef sandwich huh? that is between two slices of moldy bread. Okay, I think this is what the story is like. So talking about moldy stuff, in February of 1989, help me to bring it back. In February of 1989, the New York Times reported a discovery near the Dead Sea in Israel that they found a flask of ointment dating to the times of Jesus. It was found wrapped in palm leaves and buried three feet deep inside the cave. And archaeologists found that the oil maintained its original chemical composition, but it has lost its fragrance. And, and you know, it's, it's great for archaeologists, but I, I do think it's such a shame that the oil had lost its fragrance and that it was just buried. And we all now know that there was at least one person who owned a flask of ointment, who did not wrap it in palm leaves, who did not bury it three feet deep. Instead, she poured it all out on Jesus and it filled the room with fragrance. But the people rebuked her harshly. So, why did Mary do what she did? What did she do that Jesus would effectively erect a memorial, an everlasting memorial for her in Mark chapter 14, verse 9? What this woman has done will be told as a memorial to her and it is recorded in the eternal word of God. There is an interesting compare and contrast in, in this passage. The chief priests were looking for an opportunity to, to kill Jesus. But Mary was looking for an opportunity uh, and, and Judas was looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. But Mary was looking for an opportunity also. She was looking for an opportunity to bless Jesus, to honor Jesus, to worship Jesus. And when she saw that opportunity, she took it. Secondly, it must have been Mary's grateful heart because on at least three occasions, Jesus helped Mary. Her brother Lazarus died and Jesus raised him from the dead, John chapter 11. Jesus honoured Simon the leper by going into his home. Some have speculated that Simon the leper might have been the father of Mary, Martha and Lazarus, but it's not recorded in Scripture, so we don't know. But whatever the case, he was a leper whom Jesus honoured. And, and there, there is also speculation, probably true, this one I think, that Jesus healed the leper first. Otherwise, not everybody will crowd in, into that house. But I think that Simon the leper was at least maybe a relative or a good friend of Mary. And thirdly, Jesus defended Mary for not helping Martha in the kitchen when she sat at his feet in Luke chapter 10. We all know that story. And then Jesus said that what Mary did was to prepare him for his burial. Now, did Mary know that Jesus would be killed and buried in a tomb? Or was it because she was, she was paying close attention to Jesus and, and, and wherever Jesus was, she, she sat at his feet and she listened intently? 
Mark's Gospel record three occasions when Jesus spoke about his impending death. It's, it's up there on the screen. Mark 8.31, Mark 9.31, Mark 10.32-34. Maybe Jesus, uh, Mary saw what all the other disciples didn't see. And therefore, she anointed Jesus for his burial as a prophetic act. That we don't know. Or was it simply woman's intuition? Maybe it was, I don't know. But what we do know, that Mary's act was interpreted. How it was interpreted? It was interpreted as precious, it was interpreted as scandalous, and it was interpreted as marvellous. Some say that Mary's jar of perfume was her dowry. It was a family heirloom or family jiapao, treasure, family treasure. And it's more than a year's wages. So if the median wage is about $4,000, it's $48,000 sing. Imagine a perfume that costs $48,000. Something so precious spent on one person at one moment. Now, isn't that scandalous? What Mary did was scandalous. Indeed, why not give to the poor? Even I would ask that question. And, and as those who witnessed this uh, complaint, and what, this, what made, made this even more acute was that customarily, just at about the time of the Passover, Jews would give gifts to the poor. And as Mary was pouring out all this precious perfume, it was at a time when the people were thinking, of giving to the poor. And then, marvellous. And instead of agreeing with the complaint, Jesus had this to say about Mary. He said, she did what she could. She's done a beautiful thing to me. It's a marvellous thing. And that it will be spoken in memory of her forever and ever. Because, as some saying go, not everything that can be counted counts. And not everything that counts can be counted. Or because, that, because there are some people who know the price of everything and the value of nothing. Was Mary so besotted by Jesus and so clueless not to know that her act would be interpreted as scandalous? I think she was besotted. She was besotted by the grace of Jesus and that this grace was so precious, often scandalous but always marvellous. It was this precious, scandalous, marvellous faith that moved Jesus to lay down his life for us all. And Jesus did what he could. Jesus did what he only he could, and that is to give his life as a ransom for many. And Jesus did a beautiful thing in that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. So what a contrast between the chief priests and scribes and Judas versus Mary. We see grace in Mary's life, the resurrection of a brother, the affirmation of a heart of devotion when she sat at his feet. The chief priests, the scribes, Judas, especially Judas, would also have seen the grace of, of Jesus, right? As, as he traveled with, with Jesus, he would have seen Jesus' compassion, uh, his healings, his treatment of women and children, but the responses were just so different. One was filled with fear, with a fear of losing power. Mary was filled with faith. And one was filled, was scheming to betray and to kill. And Mary was seeking a way to offer a sacrifice of worship. One was about politics and intrigue. 
and Mary was about purity and innocence. And so for Mary, it would be like the, the concluding stanza of this famous hymn, uh, When I Survey the wonder, Wondrous Cross, and the hymn goes, Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love, so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And I believe that that thought must have gone through Mary as she presented that perfume to Jesus. So what do we learn from this sandwich? Mary did what she could. Mary did what she could. Have we done what we could? Mary did a beautiful thing to Jesus. What beautiful thing have we done to Jesus? So let me go in turn, precious, scandalous, and marvelous. Precious. What is most precious to you? Maybe our children, maybe your spouse, but let's talk about time. I think the most precious thing is time. Time to do what you can, time to do a beautiful thing, time and timing. Timing is about opportunity. In the days before there were modern harbors, a ship waiting to come into port had to wait for the right timing. And there's this Latin word called opportu, which means for port, to the port. And when the tide, the tide is right, when the timing is right, the ship will sail into port at high tide. So the English word opportunity, or as many Singaporeans pronounce, opportunity, uh, and this must be the most mispronounced English word in Singapore. Okay? When there is that right time, the ship sails in. And we have Bible verses to that. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. Next, please. Therefore, as we have opportunity, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. In Colossians verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 5, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. As Mary sought an opportu in Latin, an opportunity to worship and bless Jesus, so too must we make the most of every opportunity to, good, to do good to all people. Make the most of every opportunity to bless and worship Jesus. What can I say that now I think is an opportune time for us to help out in our CSC study club, don't you think? Like for years we've been thinking, oh, we've got not enough students and now we've got so many students that we've got to turn people away. Is this not an opportune uh, time? And, and, and surely God is in it. Surely God is in our Christmas at Teban Gardens. I believe it is an opportune time. You know, we all did capping on Saturday, right? Last Saturday. Then Sunday, we don't open our centre. Monday, we open our centre. People were queuing up to register at 8.30. We open at 9. By the end of the first day, we had 400 registrations, 40% of our 1,000 seats. As of last night, we have 821 registered. That's not even counting PPH people. Okay, 821 have registered. Surely it is an opportune time. And I don't know about the numbers of people coming to the 20th of December uh, Christmas service inside this church. But it is an act of spiritual worship. So like Mary, let's be on the lookout. 
let's, when we find the right thing to do, when there is that opportune time to do it, and then let's chonga, you know, let's, let's give it our all as we end the year 2015. And as we look out into the new year, to do what we can, something beautiful for Him. What about scandalous? Are you okay if what you do for Jesus might appear scandalous to people, to others? And we need to address Jesus' statement here. Mark chapter 14, verse 7. The poor you will always have with you. You can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. It sounds so terrible. It's, it's, it's callous, it's scandalous, it's selfish. But we, know, we need to know where this statement comes from to see its entire context. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 15. Okay, the words are very small, right? Let me read that. From verse 4, However, there should be no poor among you, for in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, He will richly bless you, if only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all these commandments I am giving you today. Jumping to verse 7, If there is a poor man among your brothers in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God is given, giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards your poor brother. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend him whatever he needs. Be careful not to harbour this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for cancelling debts is near so that you do not show ill will towards your needy brother and give him nothing. He may then appeal to the Lord against you and you will be found guilty of sin. Give generously to him and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed towards your brother and towards the poor and needy in your land. It only appeared scandalous, but we know that Jesus' heartbeat is for the poor. While there will always be poor in the land, therefore I command you be open-handed, not tight-fisted, nor hard-hearted. So that's the context of this so-called scandalous verse. You know, my father is not yet a, a believer, but he often has many teachings for me and he taught me not to fall for false religions. You see, there are two jiao, there are two so-called religions never to fall for, and this is bi jiao and ji jiao. <laughs> to be calculative and to be comparing. So let me tell you this. It's not a story, okay? It's a real thing. Recently, a pastor told me that he was going to spend $6,000 to put Christmas lights all over his church. Ding, 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 ding. My mind went working like a chief priest, okay? I said, $6,000? Scandalous! That's almost two months' wages. It couldn't be given to the poor. I would never be like that. This pastor would never spend $6,000 to put Christmas lights only. It's, it's reckless. It's extravagant. But upon deeper reflection, his church, his church has, in my mind, the most extensive, the most generous community services work. Way, way, way larger than PPH. And so this verse came to mind. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So who am I to judge about such extravagance? Recently, I was with two Christian friends. One of them told me that he buys only second-hand cars, used cars. He never buys new ones. 
Then this other friend say, so how much is your second-hand Lexus SUV hybrid? And then I heard the answer, it was $230,000. Isn't that scandalous? Right? Should we do a bit of bijiao and jijiao? Not compare and contrast, but compare and calculate. Why not buy a cheaper car? Brand new, okay, I give you brand new. Toyota, Altis, don't know how much it costs, but surely less than $230,000. And then the difference give to the poor? That would have been so good, man. But this friend who drives a second-hand 230000 Lexus SUV hybrid is one of the most generous person I know. Let's say, let's say he earns $1 million a year and he drives a $230,000 car. But what if he gives $500,000 to his church and to charity? 50%. And then now let's compare him against somebody who's really frugal like me. Drives a smaller car. Let's say I also save 50% of my income, a smaller income, no doubt, but I strictly give 10% and no more. So if I go to the hawker center and this uncle comes along crippled and sells me three packets of tissue paper for $1 and I buy it $1, I will deduct $1 from giving to the church. Because charity what? What if I were to be so calculative like that and then I go around and tell this friend of mine, wow, your $330,000 car, you're too much, man. It's scandalous. So, and, and that 50% of the income that I spend, uh, that I save, is stored safely in my bank account and it just builds up and builds up. You know what I mean? We can be chief priests and scribes and calculate and compare everything. But you can, you can be frugal outwardly and everybody praises you for living a simple lifestyle. But towards God, towards the poor, you are tight-fisted, you are hard-hearted. And the real scandal is that we see $230,000 speck of somebody's eye, but we cannot see the log that is in our own. The Lord does not look at things that man looks at. The, Lord, the man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And finally, marvellous. Frugal versus prodigal. I think, was it last year? We went, we went through a series called The Prodigal God. Prodigal means being extravagant, seemingly reckless, seemingly scandalous, but extravagant love and grace towards sinners is why we say he is a prodigal God. And the grace of our prodigal, prodigal God is very precious sometimes scandalous, but always marvellous. And I have seen many marvellous responses to the grace of our prodigal God that are just like Mary anointing Jesus. You think of people who serve here. Let's think about worship leaders. They crack their head, you know. It's not, not so easy to choose among maybe a million songs to choose that four or five or six for a worship here on Sunday and the scriptures that go along with it that will minister to us because some of us like hymns some of us like huge songs and then after that there'll be complaints it's not so easy for a worship leader and then to come on Saturday to spend a couple of hours rehearsing and then coming to church early at 8am on Sunday to set it up and ending with a closing song at 1pm it's a long week and I think that that is just marvellous. 
or the helpers who are always first in and last out in any of our PPH activities. They will do the cleaning up and, and they will lock the door and all that. They're first in, they're last out. That's marvelous. And there are many who go beyond the call of duty. It's like last, the glass capping uh, refreshments. I mean, it's like you buy a few buns and throw it around the table for the cappers when they come back to eat a few buns. That'll be good enough already, right? No, there is porridge. There is all kinds of condiments uh, that go with it and it's really marvellous, okay? Build a bit. And then I think of Good Friday this year. All we needed was some very simple ingredients. Remember Good Friday, we, we tried to reenact and teach about the Passover? It would have been quite simple to just throw a few things here and there. But our helpers went beyond the call of, of, of just providing the ingredients. It was just beautiful, de- beautifully decorated, presented. It's, when I walked in the, the room here, I thought we were like, wow, in a five-star hotel, meal, meal setting. And that's just, just marvelous. You know, the announcement that we make um, almost every Christmas about giving gifts to the children in Teban Gardens, and, and please don't, uh, don't take out your corporate gifts that you have no use for, or don't dig out a gift that you received 10 years ago and then give it to the, the children. You know those kind of announcements? Wouldn't it be scandalous if you just give that to, to the children? But wouldn't it be marvellous if you don't even need to make those kind of announcements anymore? Right? I hope maybe next year we don't announce like that. Huh? There's no need to because it's not in our nature. The, 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 we, the recipients of grace, simply cannot be, be doing that. So there is this saying that you give God what is right, not what is left. You get it? Ah, just remember that, then you will never, we will never have to make that announcement ever, ever again because we give God what is right, not what is left. So like Mary, let's give to God what is precious, even at the risk of being scandalous because in God's, eye, in God's eyes, it will be marvellous. Let me invite the musicians to come and help us with that song. We can only sing one song uh, based on this verse. It's Alabaster Jar. And so it's the end of 2015. And it's a good time to review the year gone by and especially to review what grace we have received in our lives. And of course, to give thanks. We will do that two Sundays from now. But how do we respond to the grace of God? Not with cynicism like chief priests and scribes, right? Not like Judas. We want to respond like Mary with an offering. Of course, if you are able to be specific and say, yes, next year I want to teach in the CSE study club or next year I want to be regular in cell group attendance because I go there to serve my brothers and sisters or I want to help in this ministry or that, that would be good. That would be marvellous. But even if you're not able to be specific, you can be submissive. You can sing this song with all your heart to tell God, take me as an offering, not the leftover parts of me, but all of me. Because God can use a fully submitted heart. And I want to encourage you, I'm glad that uh, Timothy just now asked us to to just raise our hands as an act of, of submission just take me all of them take me take all of me shall we rise as we sing together
His celebration joy is all I have of worth. I break it at Your feet, O Lord. It's less than You deserve. You're far more beautiful, more precious than the old. The sum of my desires and the fullness of my joy. Like You shed
Some say that in PPH it's always about work and work and work and do and do. But not when you are inspired. Not when you are inspired by the grace you have received. We're not into badgering people into, into service. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3 says, This is love for God to obey His commands and His commands are not burdensome. So anytime you feel that, that it is a burdensome thing to obey God and to serve God, I think it's time to be like Mary, to come back to the feet of Jesus, to re- re-examine our motives, to re-examine our lives, to see why this has happened. Are we not inspired by the grace of God? by what we have received so that we can freely give as we freely receive. So I want to encourage us to do that. As I say a closing prayer, you might just want to sit down and and spend a few moments in reflection. It is not to be burdensome. It will be an act of worship, extravagance, total submission, and the joy that comes with that is marvellous Lord God we are so thankful to you that you have given what is precious even at the risk of being scandalous and this marvellous grace that we have received we are thankful to you Lord and as we end this year we think of your grace upon every area of our lives we are filled with thanksgiving what have we done to deserve all this for your grace and so we want to worship you we want to worship you with with that purity and innocence that Mary had we want to offer you something that is precious ourselves our time even our children take me use me and we pray that in your eyes it'll be a marvellous response. So we pray in Jesus' name.